Hey guys, grab your Bibles now and, and see if you can find the book of Jonah. We're going to start a new series on the book of Jonah uh, this morning, but it's um, in the Old Testament. It's right there next to Obadiah, and you know where Obadiah is. Um, let me make two quick announcements. The, the, the schedule of the church returns to normalcy this week. Um, the uh, Singles Bible Study, uh, 701 we call it, will resume this Tuesday night. Um, we had somewhat of a hiatus because I made a bad call about the weather. But uh, the text under discussion on Tuesday night will be perhaps one of the most important verses in all the Bible. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. It's the text that uh, launched the Protestant Reformation. So that Bible study on Tuesday night. And then Wednesday night, we're wrapping up our study of the book of Galatians. We're all the way in chapter 6, and I've got eight more weeks to finish out beginning at verse 6 to the end of the chapter. So come be with us. I, I, I want to warn you, the subject that is in view in Galatians 6 uh, and following is not what you would call a popular subject. So come find out why it's so unpopular. Now, let's read my text this morning. It comes from uh, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, and it reads like this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, this word, this endures forever. Guys, the book of Jonah is a story. It's a, it's a, a minor prophet that tells his story. And you know how I love stories. I have told you in the past on numerous occasions why I so love stories. I won't bore you with all those details this morning, but just one thing to remind you of. One of the reasons that I so love stories is that they have a tendency, stories have a tendency to turn in on you when you least expect it. There you are just minding your own business and you're reading the story of Jonah and, and before you know it, whammo, it turns in, it turns in on you and captures you in the web of its, of its message. I guess the, the best example of all that is found uh, in 2 Samuel 12. You remember that, what, that event when David has committed adultery with Bathsheba? And he's had her husband murdered on the front lines of the battlefield? And so David thinks he's gotten away with it. But God knows better and he sends the prophet Nathan to see him. And he comes into the presence of the king and he says, hey, David, I'd like to tell you a story. And David says, go right ahead. And so Nathan tells this story about a man who lives in Jerusalem. He says, once upon a time, there was a man who lived in Jerusalem. He was very wealthy. And he had a whole huge flock of sheep. There was another man that lived in Jerusalem. And uh, he was a very poor man. And he only had one sheep. And he loved that sheep. He, con- he considered that, that sheep almost a child of his. But the rich man had a guest come visit him for the weekend And so the rich man goes and steals the one sheep from the poor guy and slaughters it and serves it to his guest. And David interrupts the storytelling. He says, that man should die. And Nathan takes his prophetic bony finger and sticks it into the face of David and says, David, you're the man. Thou art the man, David. And David has been caught in the web of the story. Before the story hour is over, David 
has been snagged by a story. You know, guys, that's one of the reasons that I so love stories. Jesus was, of course, the master storyteller. Um, So much of the Old Testament and New is comprised of stories. But in terms of Jonah, in some ways, the story of Jonah has snagged me. Let me explain. A couple of years ago, uh, it was in April of 2016, I took a group of people from Grace Van to um, Israel, to the Holy Land. And it's a 10-day trip, and um, uh, your first night, you spend the night in Tel Aviv, which um, you may know is the modern-day Joppa, um, which is mentioned right here in this book, uh, Joppa. Uh, we'll, we'll see it later, but um, um, one of the first sights that you see is, is, a, is a spot where there is this giant sculpture of a fish, or a, a, a sculpture of a giant fish, and it's supposed to be the spot from which Jonah left dry land and uh, got on a boat and tried to run from God by taking a boat to Tarshish, which was way away from where God had told him to go. Now, that's how it all started for me. I'll tell you more. Um, Here's the second thing. Um, I've preached on the book of Jonah before. I preached on the book of Jonah 20 years ago. um, And I preached that series on Jonah right after I had finished Herman Melville's international novel, uh, famous novel, Moby Dick. You've heard of that. Well, one of the characters in the, um, in the book is Father Mapple. And in chapter 9, Father Mapple is preaching to the, the crewmen of the, of, the, of the ship. And this is a portion of his sermon. I want to read it to you. Uh, Father Mapple begins his sermon on the book of Jonah, and he says this, and I'm quoting, Shipmates, this book containing only four chapters, four yarns, is one of the smallest strands in the mighty cable of the scriptures. Yet what depth of the soul does Jonah's deep sea line sound? What a pregnant lesson to us is this prophet. What a noble thing is is that canticle in the fish's belly. How billow-like and boisterously grand. Pardon me. We feel the flood surging over us. We sound with him to the kelpy bottom of the waters. Seaweed and all the slime of the sea is about us. But what is the lesson that the book of Jonah teaches? Yeah, that's the question, isn't it? What is, the, uh, what is the lesson that is contained in the book of Jonah? To answer that question, let's start like this. Let's, um, let's play a little word association game. You know what that is. I say bacon, you say eggs. I say black, you say white. I say Jonah, you say whale. <laughs> And I think you've just now been caught in the story. 
Because, guys, um, most people would think that the story of Jonah is a romantic account of a great miracle involving a whale. And unfortunately, Satan does that to us. He gets us to concentrate on things that really aren't the issue. And before we're done with this book, 12 weeks or so out, I hope you will see that the whale, though he is a part of the story, he is certainly not the point of the story. So what is? What is the point of the story? What is the lesson that's contained in the book of Jonah? Well, lots of lessons, but let me suggest three possibilities. Three possibilities concerning the... um, the ultimate lesson or the real point of the story of Jonah. Here's my my first suggestion. That the book of Jonah is about a Christian who is mad at God. A Christian? Well, in the story, Jonah would be the Christian, of course. But you do know, don't you, that Jonah had had some previous dealings with God. In fact, he represented God as a prophet. He's mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14 um, as being useful to God, as being used by God as, as, a, as one who spoke in the name of Yahweh as a prophet. Jonah knew God. But about two chapters later in 2 Kings 17, Jonah, this man that knows God, had watched Assyria Now, you know what Assyria is. That's a country. And the capital of that country was Nineveh, where um, Jonah was supposed to go, but didn't want to. And he didn't want to because he had watched Assyria invade his country and destroy its people, its land, and its heritage. And so now... Jonah is being asked to go preach the gospel to those people, and he doesn't like it. The idea of leaving the holy land where God was and going over to the land of those enemies of Israel's and then minister to them? Uh-uh. <clears throat> no, no. I, I, I'm not going to do that. Oh, and by the way, There is one scene in the New Testament where Jonah is at least in the background. His name's not mentioned. It's in John chapter 7 where Nicodemus, you remember who Nicodemus was? He was the one that comes to Jesus in John 3 and asks about the rebirth. Well, Nicodemus in John 7 is defending Jesus in the Sanhedrin and the Sanhedrin erupts all over Nicodemus and says, what's the matter with you, man? Do you not know that no prophet ever came out of Galilee? Well, the Sanhedrin was wrong. There was one prophet that did. His name was Jonah. Jonah was from Gath-Hefer, about three miles northeast of Nazareth in the tribe of Zebulun or the region of Galilee. All I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, is Jonah is the man who knew God, had worked for God, had served God, had spoken for God, and now he's being asked to go do something 
that he doesn't like. He's angry with the God who would send him to minister to Israel's enemies. You want me to go over there and preach the gospel to people who are the enemies of Israel? Not going to do it. Not going to do it. And I'm very frankly, oh God, I don't know why you would even ask me to do it. I don't like the fact that you've asked me to do it. I don't agree with the fact that you've asked me to do it. And I'm not going to do it. Very honestly, God, I'm not real comfortable with, with, the, with the things that you're asking of me. And, and in fact, oh God, I'm not real happy with the way that you're running your universe at this moment. You see, I'm a, I'm a Christian and I've got an illness that I can't get rid of and I don't get it. I'm jobless right now and I don't like that. And, and, and oh, my kids, oh my gosh, my kids didn't turn out the way that I hoped they would. And why is it that I was abused as a child? You could have prevented that, God. And you didn't. And I don't like it that you didn't. Why, why, why didn't you intervene and stop that? Very honestly, God, I, I'm upset with you. I don't like what you've done. And I don't like what you've asked me to do either. You know, guys, we Christians are embarrassed to admit it, and we, uh, we mask it so that we think it's going to go undetected. But I'm just not happy with the way my life turned out. Or said differently, I, I'm just not happy with a God who allowed my life to turn out the way that it did. I don't like that. Have you ever heard of something called the angry man syndrome? Oh, you're married to one, are you? I'm sorry. But normally those guys have a middle name of Jonah. I don't like God's ways. He doesn't run his universe very well, at least according to me. And I certainly don't like the things that he's done with reference to my life. Jonah is angry. <clears throat> You're going to see it throughout the four-chapter book. He's so angry that at one point he wants to die. A lot of us are angry at God too. Maybe not to the point of wanting to die. But one of the lessons that might be contained in this book is a confrontation between a sovereign God and an angry Christian. If you're an angry Christian, this story is for you. Here's the second possibility in terms of the lesson, lessons contained in the book of Jonah. Here's the second possibility. 
Guys, you've heard of the Lord's Prayer. It's contained in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. Um, we pray it around here five or six times a year, and people wonder, what, what is he doing? Why does he do that? Well, let me tell you, my motive in including the Lord's Prayer from time to time is so that we won't forget it, so that our children won't grow up never having heard it, at least coming out of mommy and daddy's mouth. So I include it every now and then in hopes that you know we can still remember the thing called the Lord's Prayer. But gang, you know there's a line, there's a one sentence in the, in the Lord's Prayer, and it goes like this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or if you're a Methodist, it, it goes like this. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You remember that line in the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's in verse 12. One verse later in verse 14, it gives us a commentary on that request, that part of the prayer, you forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Here's a commentary on that request. It goes like Jesus is speaking and he says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. You know what that means? It means that the integrity of our repentance is proved in our willingness to forgive others when they don't deserve it. Guys, you you understand, I hope, that the heart of the gospel is about undeserved forgiveness. You understand that, don't you? The heart of the gospel is about undeserved forgiveness. Neither Jonah nor the Ninevites deserve God's goodness, God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness. And neither do we as Christians deserve If we got what we deserved, we'd perish. But we didn't get that. What we got is undeserved forgiveness. And people who get that, that is, that they they realize that I'm in possession of a forgiveness that I didn't deserve, those people are then willing to give it. We're willing to give what we've gotten we're willing to give away an undeserved forgiveness because at the, at the essence of my standing with God, I'm in possession of an undeserved forgiveness. Is it hard? Oh, yeah, you bet it is. But we who understand that we have a forgiveness that we didn't deserve, we want to get there. We want to get to the point where we're giving away what we've gotten undeservedly. Guys, in this story of Jonah, he refuses to forgive. And he rages against God because he knows that God will forgive and he doesn't want him to. You're going to forgive them? Need I remind you, oh God, that's all those are Assyrians? Do I need to tell you that, you know, they trampled our nation? Do you understand, God, that he did this against me? 
And you want me to go preach the gospel to them? I refuse. And I'd rather hold on to my my lack of forgiveness. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand that the only one who's being harmed by your refusal to forgive is you? You know that, don't you? It's going to make you an ugly man, an ugly woman. Because at the heart of our message is a, is a message about an undeserved forgiveness. So that's the second possibility. Here's the third. Um, the third possibility of what is the lesson of this book? And before I explain this to you, I want to point something out about the book of Jonah. You understand, don't you, that it is Jonah who is telling this story about Jonah. It is Jonah who is telling us just how ugly Jonah was. This is a story of self-disclosure on the part of Jonah. And he's telling you just how ugly he was. You know, I like it when David gets snagged on a story. But I don't like it when I do. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, Jonah is telling you how ugly he he was because I'm about to follow his example. While we were in Israel two years ago in 2016, we, we visited Bethlehem. That's one of the places that you always go if you go to the Holy Land. You go to Bethlehem where Jesus was born. You know, that's, that's the top of the list. We also went to Jordan, went inside the nation of Jordan and visited Petra, where one of the Indiana Jones movies was filmed. But in both instances, in both of those instances, both in Bethlehem and, and in Jordan, we were in areas dominated by Muslims. In Bethlehem, we were escorted by some Palestinians. When we went inside Jordan, we were escorted by a Jordanian Muslim. And they were delightful people. And at that point, the story of Jonah turned in on me. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Jonah was guilty of spiritual racism. And I want you to understand that my motive for returning to the book of Jonah is just that. My heart got exposed over Muslims. I, too, am guilty of spiritual racism. Ladies and gentlemen, have we as evangelicals isolated ourselves from the very persons from whom or to whom we're supposed to take the gospel? How deeply do our compassions run for lost men and women? All lost men and women, even our enemies. One man put it like this. 
He said, have we become an island of irreverent piety? Have we, ladies and gentlemen? Have we become this island of irreverent piety? Well, I want you to know that God is determined to keep his promises. And his promises, the one contained in Genesis 26, was that through Abraham, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. That was something that, that Israel never should have forgotten. Because you see, Israel was supposed to be this channel through which God was going to pour all of his blessings into all the nations of the earth. But instead of that, Israel becomes a depository of all of God's kindnesses. They weren't supposed to forget that they were a channel to all the earth, but they had forgotten. And by the time of the New Testament, when faith in Yahweh had given way to formalism and ceremony, at that point, the Gentiles were people whose names were not even supposed to be mentioned in their presence. Those Gentiles, they were irreconcilable enemies. Dogs, they called them. And instead of being a blessing to all the nations of the earth, Israel was known for her self-righteousness and this malignant cancer of spiritual racism. Jews were supposed to have the privilege of bringing light to the Gentiles. And that was something that Jonah had not only forgotten, but he despised the idea. I'm going to take the gospel to them? Oh, no, I'm not. I'm going to Tarshish. Well, Jonah has forgotten. Have we? Have I? So let me go over this real quickly, and I'm done. Three possible lessons, three suggestions of lessons that might be contained. Here's the first one. You fight with God, and you will lose. You don't like his ways, here's where you'll end up. Let me go over his life real quick. Jonas, flight, complaint, stubbornness, self-pity, anger, and then he wants to die. The events of Jonah's life are not going as he planned, and he's angry about that. He loses a sense of spiritual equilibrium. In fact, things have deteriorated so badly that I'd just as soon die. I want to read you this, and I I, I wish I could tell you where I got it. I, I don't remember where I got it, but listen to this. But such a crisis may lead to an even greater dismay, If the God upon whom you have pinned all your hopes disappoints you, if you have given your life over to God and there are no evident benefits issuing from that commitment, if God seems rather to be extending that blessing to others in a way unrelated to their faith or daily conduct, and, when, and then if you who have had your hopes dashed are asked to go and offer those same hopes to others who have obviously trampled all over God's law, then indeed you, like Jonah, 
may just decide that life is futile after all and that with such a God as your God, death is to be preferred all because he didn't approve of God's ways. You fight with God and you lose. Here's the second lesson Forgiveness is the habit of the forgiven. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I've been in the ministry for 45 years. And some of the saddest moments ever are to watch as people refuse to forgive. I've seen people storm out of this church when I confronted them with the necessity to forgive, not me, but others. Forgiveness is supposed to be our stock and trade because we know that we're in possession of an undeserved forgiveness ourselves. Third, the book of Jonah will end, and Lord willing, when we get to the end, it will force a question on us. And the question, one of the questions is this Does my heart more resemble God's heart or Jonah's? When it comes to lost men, does my heart resemble his or Jonah's? You know, how is the world ever going to hear the gospel if God's own people are not on board? Here's another question that I bet you will ask at the end of this book. Is Jonah the best that God has to offer? You know, guys, um, in 2017, I was given two invitations to speak missionally abroad. You know where I was invited? I was invited to... um, Turkey and to Azerbaijan, both of which are Muslim nations. And the irony of that was not lost on me. Guys, um, when we end this book, we'll be asking is there anybody else? I mean, Israel failed, Jonah failed, the church failed, Jimmy Young failed. And those failures, I hope, will be a good indicator that what we need is someone greater than Jonah. Can I read you this? It's found in Luke 11, and Jesus is speaking And he says this, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Who is that? That would be Jesus.
what we all need is a big dose of Christ and him crucified. Our Father, I do pray that you'll remind us that you will not sit idly by as we fail you in um, broadcasting the gospel from pole to pole, even though that includes our enemies. I pray, O oh God, that you will um, soften the hearts of those who sit here today who are, who are unwilling to forgive, forgive their spouse or a neighbor or a co-worker. Oh God, and would you, um, would you give us a sweet submission to your sovereignty? Might we leave here knowing that the best place to be, not, maybe not the safest, but the best place to be, is right in the center of your will. And those, Lord, that you brought here this morning who have not yet met our Savior, would you, um, would you show to them the great beauty of Christ and Him crucified? Open their eyes to see that what they need more than their next breath is Christ in all of his saving beauty. We pray, of course, in his name.